They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jar with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Now draw out some and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there for a few days. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for bringing us here today. Thank you for Justin and his willingness to submit to your word. God, I pray that you would use him in big ways to teach us your word and to bring us closer to you. <clears throat> we trust you, and we thank you for your continued provision and care for us. May we honor you in your, our words and our deeds, Lord. We praise you for who you are, and would you prepare our hearts now? Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Thanks, Kate. Thanks, worship team. And our kiddos, you can be dismissed to take off to kids' class. We have a, we have a great text to look at today, and uh, I hope you're ready to really dive in. Uh, as, as we begin, I want to start with a, a few announcements. Uh, the first being, uh, if you've been a part of our community groups for this past season, uh, those will be coming to a close here this next week. Uh, we do that for several reasons. One, to give our wonderful community group leaders a break from hosting uh, through the summer uh, and really create a rhythm. A lot of times we're traveling through the summer. It's not to say that your community group will not be gathering or meeting more organically. There just won't be a structured rhythm to that. And we'll be relaunching those in August, hopefully with uh, new community groups and even more leaders stepping in. We'll have some community group training this summer. Uh, the next thing, Vacation Bible School in July. We're excited for this. And I, I really want to get you prepared and, and really thinking through this event as an all-church event, which means all of us participating. And you're, you're like, well, I'm, I'm not a, a child, but that means you get to serve. You get to come alongside and be involved and help shape young hearts and share the good news of Jesus. We are firm believers uh, that we exist to share the good news of Jesus with our community and with our kids here in our church. And uh, next Sunday, right after the Sunday gathering, there will kind of be an information meeting. Would encourage you to be here for that as uh, we begin to cast vision and really in hopes of how you can get involved and serve alongside us in this all-church event. Two weeks. I, I, I'm sad about this, but in, in two weeks, I'm sad about this, but I'm also excited about this. Here, here's what I mean. We're going to be starting summer in the Psalms. I'm excited about that, but I'm sad to be leaving John for the summer. It's been a joy to be walking through John. And so, Summer in the Psalms has been a rhythm for us since we began. We're walking through the Psalms in consecutive order. I think we're up to 
64, 65, somewhere in there. So we'll be starting Summer in the Psalms in two weeks. We'll put John on hold until the fall, and then we'll pick back up. The Psalms, really, as, as we've been walking through the book of John the last few weeks, uh, just experiencing, and, and what I would say, posturing ourselves in a place of neediness before God, the Psalms do a fabulous job of being able to open us to our need, our need for Him, our need for, for, for Him to be engaged and involved. It, it communicates emotions that some of us sometimes don't feel like it's okay to feel. And, and so I hope that you'll join us this summer as we walk through uh, the Psalms together. Uh, we're in John 2 this morning, and we find ourselves at a wedding of all places. We, we just completed John chapter 1. Uh, we, we've seen this prologue, this introduction to the gospel of John as John starts out in 1 through 18, and really kind of the trailer to the book of John. We've seen this. We've seen John the Baptist as the forerunner to Jesus. John the Baptist comes on the scene, and, and he's pointing to Jesus. He says, I'm not the Christ, but he's pointing to the Christ, and he's like, that's the guy you should follow. And then we see Jesus come and invite people to follow him, and, and people leave John to go and follow Jesus. And, and we see this, this transformation that happens in their life as they, they, they believe, they put their faith in Jesus and they see him truly as the Messiah, as the Christ, as the, as the one who has been prophesied. Jesus is the one. And so they, they give their life to Jesus and they, they follow him. And then we're going to make a shift here. We're beginning to move into the part of John's gospel where it talks about signs. And we're going we're gonna to get to that because we saw that in our text this morning. Where we talk about this idea of these are going to be the signs, the miracles of Jesus. But John refers to them as signs. And there's a very specific reason why he does this. And, but Jesus shows up at a wedding. And I have the privilege uh, often to, to be able to participate in weddings, in officiating weddings. In fact, this next weekend, I'm going to have the opportunity to officiate a wedding. And it's a joy. But I also get a unique vantage point when you participate in weddings of the chaos that happens in the midst of a celebration. And, and there's a lot, often, there's a lot of chaos that happens in the midst of celebration. There's family dynamics that are at play. There's the flow of the wedding ceremony that's at play. There's all the preparation, preparations that are at play. And it can be a very chaotic environment. And, and sometimes this is challenging. Sometimes it's really fun. I've, I've been where we've, we've, we've been participating in a wedding and the candles, and we turn around and the candles aren't lit. And that's that's a terrible thing if you get married without light candles, lighted candles, right? So th those need to be lit. And I remember the groom turning to the crowd and say, does anyone have a lighter in the middle of the ceremony and lighting the candles? I remember a wedding that I performed that the bride was two hours late for. I mean, people gathered just like this and it was two hours because they were still working on her dress and preparing her dress. I remember the time where I performed the ceremony with my back face to the crowd because the, the couple wanted to look at the crowd and I forgot to seat the, the audience because I wasn't looking at them. So they stood the whole ceremony, right? So... So sometimes it's not the fault of the bride or groom or the family. Sometimes it's on the fault of the person officiating. But there's a lot of dynamics. And if there's any event that you want to go well, 
Like a wedding is kind of the pinnacle of events that you want it to go well. I mean, something that typically only lasts 15 to 20 minutes, you, all of this energy, all of this preparation, all of this focus goes into this event. Family has gathered, people have come, and you're going, we want this to go well. And this is where we see John's gospel begin. John's gospel begins in the midst of this chaos and celebration of this wedding. And what we see in this, and and what I would have you point out as we begin this, it starts with on the third day. Now, as we, we, we step in, there are some commentators that would talk about the fact that third day, is that symbolic? Does that point to the resurrection of Jesus? Does that, does that give any resemblance? But I want to remind you what we've talked about the last several weeks, that what John is describing is the first week of the ministry of Jesus. And so he started in the beginning, in the same way that the Genesis account of creation started in the beginning. We see John's gospel start with, this is a new beginning. This is a new creation. This is a new start. And so John's gospel comes on the scene with, in the beginning, and then he gives us, just like in the Genesis account in creation, John is going to give us a very detailed account of every single day of the the first week of the ministry of Jesus. And interesting enough, as Genesis chapter 2 describes a, a wedding ceremony of man and woman coming together and they becoming one flesh. John's gospel here in this picture of new beginnings and new starts, it's, it's beginning with a wedding ceremony, a picture of a husband and a wife coming together in covenant marriage. And so we see these similarities between these texts, but it starts with on the third day and describing to us a very detailed account. John is, is very uh, uh, key to want to bring us into details and locations and places, and that's what John is doing here. It says on, in verse 1, on the third day there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there, and Jesus was also invited to the wedding of his disciples. And I love this, Jesus got invited, Jesus got uh, an invitation in the mail to come to the wedding, Right? This is, this is awesome. Like he was, he was someone, I, I, I think often we, we think of Jesus that he, he was removed from. And if we don't read the gospel accounts, sometimes we would see like he, he's, his posture. He's not one that would come in. He would kind of be the killjoy at the party. But Jesus comes and he brings the celebration to the party. If you're going to have a wedding, you should invite Jesus to the wedding because Jesus brings the better wine. And, and he's bringing the celebration. Jesus is invited Jesus, they, they look at the, this man, Jesus, and, and they're going, hey, come. And so Jesus and his disciples come to this wedding. And what's going to happen is the mother of Jesus, Mary, comes to, to Jesus in a, a, a very, in a frenzy. This is the chaos. And she comes to him and she says, they have no wine. And you're like, well, what does this have to do? When I first read this text... My first question is, what does this have to do with Jesus? Why in the world is he responsible? And why is Mary, maybe she's you know, the wedding planner or she's the hostess at the wedding and she's the one making sure that all the, all the details are, are there. But she's the one, she's worried, she's concerned. Maybe she's family. And she goes to Jesus and, and says they have no wine. And it's important for us because we go, well... 
Why is this significant? Why is running out of wine significant? You know, if we have an open bar at our wedding and uh, we told people to come, yeah, some people may be disappointed that they don't get that extra drink that night. But at the end of the day, what, why is this so significant? And, and it's important that we go back to the Jewish culture that would be reading this text. It's important for us to kind of come from, you know, our Western mindset here and, and kind of jump in and understand what's happening in the context of this wedding. Weddings were a big deal. And, and like we've already mentioned, like they are the, the pinnacle of events and, and this is the once a year when you go to weddings, the celebration that happens is, is extravagant. The wedding ceremony uh, would typically, the betrothal, the engagement process of wedding was way more, uh, uh, I, I guess the picture, it, it was way more serious than even what our engagement, to the point that if you were to end the betrothal period, like a formal divorce would actually have to take place. It's, it's a serious engagement, but the betrothal period would come to an end, kind of a, a climactic point where the bride would go to the, 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 the groom would go to the bride's house and there would be a torchlight parade of all the friends and families and they would travel to the groom's home and that, there would be a week-long celebration. And this celebration would, would be open to the public. And in many ways, to run out of wine would not only be uh, a disgrace to the people you invited and an insult to the people you invited, but they actually say that there would be even some potential for liability or lawsuit because you weren't able to provide. I mean, talk about serious matters. The, the weightiness of this event, and, and we don't understand it. We, we look at it and go, ah, oh, they, they ran out of alcohol. Why is that a big deal, you know? But this is a sense of going, we, we, we're drawn into the picture of this family's need in this moment, this pinnacle of event, this moment of celebration, this moment that's meant to be joyful, this moment that's meant to be celebrated with friends and family, this moment that's meant to be a feast. And they've ran out of wine. What I want you to see in this text as we begin to apply it to our own lives is I want you to see the substance of our need. When we read this text, what I want you to see of the miracle of Jesus is that for us, it may not be that we've run out of wine, but we've run out of something. We find ourselves at, at a point in our life where there's nothing left. And maybe that statement for you and is, we have no joy, we have no finances, we have no friends. We have no relationships. We have no patience. Anybody need patience in the room? Whatever it is, we, we see that, and, and we can apply this text to our lives and go on, there, there's moments we all come to the end of something. When we run out of something, who do we run to? And what I love about Mary is Mary runs to Jesus. She takes this problem, she takes this loss, she, she senses there is a, a place of need, and she takes that need, she takes that problem to Jesus. I love this picture, I love this, this moment of faith in her life, because she sees Jesus as the only one capable of meeting that need.
Do you see that? Do you see Jesus as the one who's capable of whatever fill in the blank we've run out of whatever it is? That Jesus is the one who is powerful enough, who's creative enough, who has the strength, ability, wisdom to meet you in your moment of need. What is the substance of your need? Something in your life that has run out. I think about each and every week when I come and I, I get the privilege of teaching and preaching. I start every week empty. And I come to Jesus and I say, Jesus, my preaching has run out. I need to be filled. I need you to fill me to the brim so that I have something to pour out to your people. Do you believe that Jesus can meet you in your moment of need? Do you believe that Jesus is capable? And I don't know about you, but I love what, what many of us may think of this. We look at this event as maybe trivial or insignificant. That's how I first read the text. When I first read the text, I thought of, the wine's run out. Why is Jesus involved? What's this about? And I thought, how often in my life I think about the events or the circumstances, and I go, it's trivial. What does this matter to Jesus? Why is this significant? Why would Jesus want to step in? I saw one commentator. It says, it's easy for us to spiritualize the work of Christ today and conclude that he is only in the business of saving souls and renewing lives. But is he really interested in the commonplace events of my life? Jesus stepped into a wedding that is on the, the verge of destruction and redeems it. And that's what Jesus wants to do in our life. All of us face moments where the wine runs out. And here's what I love about this, because to my knowledge, as I read the text, the bride and the groom have no understanding, no recognition of their need. To our knowledge, they're, they're moving through the festivities, they're moving through the feast, they're moving through the, where, the, the marriage ceremony without any understanding of the need. And maybe they started the wedding, and, and, and I think it's good for us to speculate and think into the story of going like, you know, have you ever had a party and you're going, man, I hope we have enough food. Right? Like, I, I hope it doesn't run out. I hope, you know, that, that this is able to, to, to go a long ways. And I hope, and maybe they started, maybe they're a poorer family. Maybe they're, they had some, some needs and they're, they're going, you know, I hope that this is able to take care and, and the wine has run out. But they have no recognition. And I think often we have no recognition of the depth of our need. But what I love about this text is that even in the midst of them not knowing their need, Jesus is meeting it. And I go, what are the things that Jesus is meeting and supplying in my life, in my life that I have no recognition of? That Jesus is supplying and providing that I have no idea. That we need Jesus' transforming power to redeem and rescue us from the mess we've made. And we don't even know sometimes the mess we've made. 
We're responsible, but Jesus steps in and meets us in the midst of it. I was just thinking just yesterday, Amber and I were driving around in in the car, and I would say there's something in my life that I would say it's just difficult right now. It's very challenging, and I feel like I've spun my wills trying to fix it. And I think it, it often seems trivial to bring it to Jesus, right? What does Jesus care about this? But I think sometimes it's, it's key for us to get to a place in our life where we just say, the wine has run out. Sometimes it takes running out before we run to Jesus. Sometimes it takes getting completely to empty before we recognize our need and we run to him. We minimize our need. We don't like to experience or feel our neediness, our need for help. So we isolate ourselves and we think, I got this. I'll take care of it. But the best thing that you and I can do is come to a place where Mary did, where Mary was moved to faith and go, if there's anybody who can take care of this, it's Jesus and come to Jesus with our neediness and go, we've ran out of wine. When we've run out of something, we run to Jesus. The wine has run out. Where do you go? Where do you go? Mary sets a good example. She brings it to Jesus. When the wine runs out, we run to Jesus. And here's what I would tell you. When you run to Jesus, you're illustrating what you believe to be true about Jesus. Mary is illustrating, she's communicating that Jesus is the one who's powerful. Jesus is the one who's provider. Jesus is the one who can take care of of this need. And that's what we communicate in our time of need. When we run to Jesus, we're communicating what we believe to be true about Jesus. Now, here's what I also find interesting. We have no feedback or response from the servants, okay? So you, you run out of wine. Mary comes to Jesus. And, and I want to talk about this because I, I think about my mom in this text because Mary seems kind of bossy in this moment. If you read into the text, and some of that is lost in translation, and it's, it's important for us to, to kind of understand. And Jesus wasn't being rude to his mom by saying woman, okay? This, this wasn't a, a word of um, acknowledgement of, you know, like, hey, woman. You know, it's, like, it's not stern, in fact, in, in I think it's John chapter 19 where Jesus is going to the cross, he, he looks to his beloved disciple John who wrote this gospel, and he says to her, uh, to his beloved disciple, behold, like this is, woman, this is the person, and it's a term of endearment. It's a way of, but what is important to understand is that he doesn't call her mother, and in fact, most of the times, it, it's not that relationship, particularly as Jesus begins his ministry, begins to shift. Jesus recognizes that his authority, his, he's responsible to follow the, the, the will of the Father, that he would turn his attention to follow his plan. But interesting enough, Mary nudges Jesus, I guess, enough that Jesus obeys. And Jesus says, 
He, he chooses to go forward with it, but he says, my hour has not yet come. <coughs> it's important to understand what Jesus is saying is he knows that when he begins to step onto the scene and then he begins to perform these miracles that it's going to draw a lot of attention. And at that moment, that that's going to begin the countdown clock to the crucifixion. What Jesus is stepping in to do, and when Jesus begins to perform these miracles, and when Jesus begins to do these signs, that this is going to draw the attention and ultimately will lead to his death. And what he's saying here is, it's not time for me to reveal. And so Jesus moves forward with providing the wine and supplying the wine, but he does it in a way that, that's kind of more incognito. He does it in secret. And only the servants know where the wine came from. But I find it interesting as he goes to the servants that they tell him, they tell the servants to go to take these and go fill them with water. And if you were one of the servants, I think you and I would probably question the commands of Jesus. We would question whether or not, why are we filling these with water? Why are we filling these ceremonial pots that are used for cleansing? Why are, and, and the chore, my, my friend Justin Buzzard, who pastors in San Francisco, wrote a, a study guide on the, on the Gospel of John. And one of the things is he said, there, there wasn't a water hose in Cana. Okay, so when you think about filling 20 to 30 gallons, and there's six of these, it's bucket after bucket after bucket, and they're obedient to do so. And I'm wondering if the miracles that we're seeking, the transforming work that we're seeking in our life is on the other side of our obedience. That Jesus has commanded us to do some very simple task. It wasn't crazy. When we read here in, in verse 5, G, Mary says to, to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Be obedient to his commands. Now, there were six stones, water jars there for Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said this, fill the jars with water, and they filled them to the brim. And he said, now draw some out, take it to the master feast. So you see, fill, draw, take, very simple commands, very ordinary commands that he's called them to be obedient to, to call them to step into. And some point in there, the miracle takes place. The transformation of water into wine. Now, here's what I would I, I want to point out to you in this. What I think that this displays is we have, first of all, the substance of our need, and here we see the supply of Jesus' grace. What do I mean by the supply? When I read this text, I found it very interesting the detailed account that John goes into of what these pots are for, how big they are, how, 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 how much they hold, how much they fill each one of the jars to. What does it say? It says there's six stones, each holding 20 to 30 gallons, and they filled them to the brim. What Jesus has just provided is he's lavished a gift upon this family. And this is exactly how Jesus brings his grace upon us. It's not like he just puts them back in good standing, like they have enough. I'm sure that there was wine left over for days. 
This is what in John 1 verse 16, where it says, Jesus comes to bring grace upon grace, upon grace, upon grace. He lavishes grace upon you. It's abundant. It's excessive. I can imagine that people are going, we have never seen this much wine. Now this is a festival. He takes a broken feast, a broken marriage, a place where there is, is, is significant need. The wine has run out and Jesus lavishes grace upon grace. He supplies. Church, this is what Jesus does for us. This is the good news of the gospel. He doesn't just cleanse us from our sins, but he sanctifies us. He changes us. He transforms us. He gives grace upon grace. He gives us joy. He gives us purpose. He gives us significance. He supplies. He supplies. It's abundance. It's filled to the brim. He brings the celebration. I think what's interesting is Jesus is, and, and I love this as we look at the accounts of Jesus throughout the Gospel of John, Jesus is fully capable of doing this without us, but he uses us. He uses us in the midst of it. Jesus could have easily just put wine in the pots. He could have, he could have just, I mean, it's not like he, he, he turned water into wine. He can do anything. But in the midst of it, he used this and, and he called the servants of the party to participate in this sign. He used people. He uses you and I to bring about the miracle of transformation in the lives of other people. I love that. And then lastly... We see in this text, it says in verse 8, And he said to him, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. And when the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. I love that point that he makes. The master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine, but you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee, and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. The last thing I want you to see this morning is the signs of things to come. The sign of things to come. We see the substance of our need, we see the supply of Jesus' grace, but we see that all of this points to something else. John uses the word sign instead of speaking about a miracle because John is saying it's not the miracle that is meant to draw our attention, it's meant to point to something. We're not to stand in awe of the miracle, we're not to stand in awe of the water become wine, although that is a gift although that is abundance. It's meant to point us to something else. It's a sign of things to come. In fact, the wedding host here describes that it's, 
It's abnormal for the better wine to be brought out after our palates are desensitized. And, you know, we've, we've been a part of this feast and celebrating for weeks that it's typical that the, the, the wine would, would actually get worse. But this is the better wine. This is, we see this is a sign of things to come. And here's what I want to bring you into Because again, written to a Jewish audience, they would begin to hear this passage very differently. When we look at the text and we talk about ceremonial cleansing pots being used for wine, to the Jews, this would be absurd. What Jesus is saying is Jesus is coming in, something, this pot that was used for cleansing, this this pot that would be used to make one right, that would be used as a way of purifying, that would be used as a way to symbolize holiness. Jesus is saying, I'm going to fill that with something else. What does he fill it with? Wine. And Jesus at Passover with his disciples at the Last Supper, what does he do? He holds up a cup of wine and he says, this is my blood. It would be symbolic. What Jesus is saying is the way of Judaism, the way that you've been following is now obsolete. I've come to do something new. I've come to bring something new. I've come to create a new way to be cleansed. I've come. And, and this is significant because we just look at the miracle and we're, we should be in awe. You know, I don't have a, a, anyone in my family that can turn water into wine. Do you? No, that's awesome. But it's, there's something bigger at play. There's something more that we're to look at. What Jesus is saying is, this water in this cleansing pot can only clean you on the outside. But I'm coming, and I'm going to give my life upon the cross, and I'm going to pour out my blood for the forgiveness of sins that would cleanse you, that would make you into the bride of Christ. What a wonderful picture. What we're going to see that all of these signs and even moving forward, what Jesus is doing is Jesus is, bringing, is, is breaking in and going, every way in which you followed, they've been good. They've had their purpose. But I've come to bring something better. And what Jesus is doing is he's, he's stepping into religious Um, very just manual practices, religious practices, and he's bringing new life to them. This is what Jesus comes to do at this party, is he brings new life to the party. The celebration really started taking place when Jesus comes and brings the wine. He's bringing new life to it. We see as we move forward in the, in, in the book of John, in John chapter 3, and you'll begin to key into this. In John chapter 3, we see the ruler, Nicodemus. And what's interesting is Jesus comes, and we see how he's breaking down all of the, the Jewish rules and, and, and religious practices, and he's making them obsolete. He comes in, and he's the teacher. And we see this, this relationship between he and Nicodemus and, and he's, he's actually posturing himself as the teacher rather than Nicodemus, who is a teacher of the law. We see in John chapter 4 
that Jesus comes to a woman at the well. And it says, how do you, a Jew, come to a woman like me of Samaria? And he's seen he's breaking all religious practices. We see in, in John chapter 5, Jesus comes to the pool of Bethesda. And then he, what does he come? He comes in and he heals on the Sabbath. We see in John chapter 6, in the, the first Passover, we see that Jesus comes and he says, I'm the bread of life. He's bringing new meaning and new life to all of these practices. It's the sign of things to come. (laughs) And here's what I would tell you. This wedding feast that they're experiencing, that they're celebrating, it's a sign of things to come. It's a sign that Jesus, through his cleansing, transforming work, is making you holy. That Jesus, through his cleansing and transforming work, is making you into the perfect bride of Christ. And as Revelation chapter 19 describes, that one day we will celebrate at a wedding feast. That one day we will be there. We will have perfect, unbroken fellowship with God. The joy we will experience, the freedom we will experience, the supply of God's grace in that moment that we will experience. He's preparing us. He's preparing us. So maybe you're here today. And you would say, it's run out, whatever it is. The joy's run out. The purpose has run out. The money has run out. The relationship has run out. The love has run out. Whatever it is, there are two things that will keep you from running to Jesus. The first is this. Sometimes I believe if I run to Jesus, I won't be met with good news, but I'll be met with shame. Anybody feel that? That we realize that we're responsible. Whatever's run out, we're responsible. We've caused this. We've created this. And what I love about this text is, is that Jesus is not responsible for bringing the wine to the wedding. Jesus is not responsible for providing. It was not his fault that the wine ran out. But Jesus made himself the responsible party. Jesus stepped in to our need, and supplied His grace. But sometimes we don't run because we think we'll be met with shame. Here's what I would tell you, anyone, anyone who's here, I hope that you'll hear the words that we talked about last week where Jesus looked at the disciples and just said, come and see, come and follow, come to Him, come to Him. Will you run to Him? The second thing that keeps us from coming to Jesus is pride. Our pridefulness. We ultimately say, I can figure this out on my own. Anybody in that boat? That we figure, I have the strength, I have the power, I have the ability, it's my fault, I can figure this out on my own. And the good news of the gospel, church, is you don't have to. You don't have to figure it out on your own. 
And when you run to Jesus, Jesus supplies in abundance, in abundance. So here's how I want us to respond this morning. In the same way we see in verse 11. And this may catch you off guard because when we read this text, it says, this is the first of his signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee, and he manifested his glory. Obviously, this sign, this event revealed who he was. And it says, and his disciples believed in him. Now, if you were here last week, you would say, well, I thought they believed in him in John chapter 1. And here they are in John chapter 2, believing in him again. And I think that's a great process for us to follow. You've heard us say often here at Ecclesia, we're all unbelievers. We all are. All of us go through moments of belief and unbelief. All of us go through moments where we feel like, I can bring this to Jesus or I can't bring this to Jesus, or Jesus cares about this, or I don't really think Jesus cares about this, or this is pretty trivial, or maybe he actually does want to step in and engage. We all go through moments of belief and unbelief, and there's more for us to experience. There's more for us to step in. We are all unbelievers. As a verse of Scripture that has remained very prevalent, Amongst us, in 2 Peter 1, 5, 9, it says, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. Verse 8, For if these qualities are yours and they're increasing, we're growing in them. They keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever lacks these qualities has become so nearsighted that he's blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Which means to me, I know that some of us walk in this morning having forgotten we've been cleansed from our former sins. That some of us forget that Jesus can look at the substance of our need, our need for forgiveness, our need to be made clean, our need to be made right with God. And we forget that he's actually done that through Jesus Christ. We forget the power of his resurrection and the power that that gives us to experience and live into the new life. We're unbelievers. And so we get the privilege of gathering as his church every week to come and be reminded. But can I tell you that in the same way as the life was taken out of these ceremonial cleansing pots, that it just became religious routine, that sometimes our communion table can just become religious routine, that sometimes we come and we forget that what we're celebrating and what we're remembering is the broken body of Jesus and the blood that was poured out for our forgiveness. And so we're going to take communion a little bit differently this morning.
And if you've been with us any moment of time, you know that we've typically had prepackaged communion cups made available with a very untasty wafer and sometimes juice that tastes like Dimatap. <laughs> sometimes. Depends on which one Amazon wants to send us that week. But we want to move back to a point of this is a celebration. That we're celebrating and being reminded that we would be moved, that verse 11 would be true of us, that we would leave here believing in him. That we would leave here knowing that whatever it is, whatever the substance of our need is, we can bring to him. And he will supply. He will provide. And that this is only a sign to come. That when we come to this table and we take of the bread and the juice, that this is only a sign of what is to come where one day we'll sit at a table and we'll be sharing stories, experiencing the presence of God forever. That's what I'm talking about. That's a celebration. That's the celebration that Jesus comes to bring. I'm going to have you bow your head. I'm going to have the worship team come on up. And I want to pray for us today. <coughs> and we're going to move through a, a time of response. And even there, let me just give you some directions as you kind of close your eyes and process. And, 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 and really want to move into an extended time of response, of singing this morning, of prayer this morning, of communion this morning. In the same way that Jesus breaks into the rituals of Judaism that is dried up, he's breaking into our normal routine of Sunday morning this morning, and he's filling it with new wine. The celebration. He's the bringer of better wine. He is supplying. And so the worship team in just a few moments is, is going to sing for us. They're going to lead us in this morning. And I'm just going to encourage you in the next two songs, we're going to have two songs of worship, for you to be reflective, to pray. And when you're moved to a place of gratitude, of thankfulness, a place of belief, we invite you to come to the table and receive. And unlike other times where we led through each of the elements, I would just encourage you to come and receive the elements as you come. Take of the, the bread. The bread is actually bread this week. One of our kind family members here at Ecclesia has provided that for us. It is not gluten-free, so don't die on us this morning. There are, uh, in the cups, allergy-free uh, communion, so please take of those if you need to. But to take of the cup, to take of the bread, and to receive. If you've trusted in Jesus Christ, if you've believed in Him, if you've put your faith in Him, this table is for you. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted in Jesus, we would love to pray for you. We would love to lead you to belief in Jesus and encourage you in taking that next step of faith. As we respond, there's going to be people to pray. As we reflect, maybe you're kind of pointed to a place of need in your own life. Would you come and respond and, and have us pray for you in your, your time of need that God would supply? Our team will be ready to pray.
and encourage you. Lord, we pray and ask as we respond this morning, as we reflect this morning, that we would be moved to belief in Jesus, that we would see that you would step into empty vessels and fill it with new wine. Lord, we thank you that you give grace upon grace. Thank you for that good news that we leave here with this morning. Thank you for filling us with the good news of Jesus so we can go and saturate our city with the good news. Lord, we pray in the next few moments you would move in our hearts. We would experience you in a real way. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm gonna allow you to have a posture of worship, whether that's being seated, standing, responding, coming to the table. In the next few moments, I pray that you will move, be moved to a place of belief, whether that's being responsive to belief for Jesus in the first time or renewing that belief as you come to the communion table this morning.